What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Asian MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything going on in the world of Asian MMA. I'm Dana Bluen, and this fo- this episode is brought to you by Really Shitty Fight Photography. <laughs> well, that's mostly because of my guest. He's sponsoring, I guess. <laughs> yes, yes, that's me. But guys, we have a, a little something different today. I've got John Walsh, the founder of the Clinch Report who's now, they're California-based, but he's actually been in Asia for a few years now doing quite a bit of fight photography. And I thought it'd be just a great perspective to get a fight photographer, someone who's in the game, who's actually doing it, making it happen, here to talk about some of the things he's seen all over Asia. So, Walsh, thank you for coming on, man. Thank you for having me. So, talk about just the differences. We were joking around before about some of the things that, you see here that you wouldn't even see on like Indian reservations back in Cali. What a different world it is. Uh, <laughs> you know, you think mixed martial arts, it's all mixed and yeah. you're going to get a mixture of everything. It's different. Right? <laughs> it's it's, it's different. a different world altogether, right? Totally different. Uh, things like a Trinity fight series that I've shot where the first round of a fight is, you know, uh, boxing, boxing with right? Muay Thai gloves. Yeah. The second round is Muay Thai and the third round is MMA. Like, Do they wear Muay Thai gloves in the uh, in Trinity's I mean, sorry, one? no, that was uh, MMA gloves yeah. the whole time. Yeah, and, so it's just different rule sets, same gloves. And it's a tournament style in one night. So these guys are fighting the winners fight three, what, three times that night. Well, three fights, nine rounds possibly total. Although rare. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't see too many of those fights go the distance. Um, but, man, what... Some good fights there, though. Absolutely. Uh, Last one, I think, finished with a broken arm from a leg kick. That uh, I missed that one. Brutal. Brutal. Was it? Yeah. It's. I mean, in Thailand, people know how to kick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no doubt. Here in Thailand, people definitely they know how to bang, right? For sure. Unbelievable. I mean, even just the Muay Thai scene. How many broken arms I've seen. It's. Yeah, you astonishing. saw, it was an NBK fight night the other night you were telling me about where there was like two broken arms and like a massive cut. Yeah, I mean, two massive cuts. I could have put a 7-Eleven toasty inside of them. <laughs> it was like an extra mouth over their eye. You love those uh, toasties, bro. Who doesn't love those toasties? I'm not a toasty fan. Not right. toasty. Well, I guess you don't love those toasties. No, You're the one. I'm, You're the, the one. I'm the one guy who doesn't buy the toasties. Yeah. You, they are popular, though. But yeah, man, I... I've been to the MK, MBK fight nights. You know, those are it's straight Muay Thai, and sometimes they do uh, the bare knuckle with the wraps. But yeah, the the Trinity fight series, and I, I, like I said, I just want to give it a little bit more context for for some of the listeners who maybe don't know, because we have seen sort of a rise of these mixed type events over the last few years, where it's you know one round will be boxing, and then Muay Thai, and then the last round might be MMA. And I think they were doing three-minute rounds that night. I believe so. And, you know, some of the times, you know, you see these fights, and you're just like, what is going on? Who would agree to something like this? You see someone in a straight boxing rules throwing yeah. elbows. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember the first time I saw her, the very first fight, someone came out, and the guy throws, just throws a kick straight up, like his second strike. And he's like, oh, my bad, my bad, sorry. You know, and they just, you know, shrug it off. Yep, keep going. But, you know, and they, they do it in a ring. But for those people who, just to give some context of location, it's in the Ambassador Hotel, which is a, a big hotel. It just happens to be located, like, right in the middle of Bangkok in Nana, uh, Soy Nana 11, right? Yes, my street. Yeah, yeah your hood. Yeah. And, you know, so, like, 
in that area, like if you if you know Bangkok, you know what that area is known for, and it's not fight sport. So more, fun, more fun times, I would say. Yeah. And Q23 Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, Q23 Jiu-Jitsu. Big shout-out to Adam over there. Home away from home. Yeah, that's, that's where my girlfriend trains. Uh, she loves it over there. And she told me that you were roughing her up at, uh, at on the mat, so I got to get you some neon belly. We'll try that after. Yeah. Not on video, Not please. On, are you sure? I think, we, I think people <laughs> would like to see that. Uh, probably three people. <laughs> three people. Mainly, mainly ex-girlfriends and such, but yes. I'm sure Uncle Bob would like to see that video. Yes, I, I think he would. And now, you know, hope he recovers from his uh, eye surgery, yeah. by the way. Well, I, I think he's been he's been talking about that surgery for a long time. And I'll, I'll actually, I'll have Bob on pretty soon, hopefully. For those of you guys who don't know, Bob Fisher, founder of Pugil Picks. Um, fantastic fight photographer. And he's been bouncing back and forth between the U.S. and Thailand, I think, for like 10 years now. Yeah, he he's shot everything, and actually, I want to get him on to talk about the uh, the cruise ship, because he he was there. He flew down to Phuket for that, and that was a special night. I I wish I could have got to go go shoot that event. Uh, I've about, looked at the gallery so many times. Three years before you uh, you came here, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, or two years maybe, but man, that was I, I took the ship from from uh, from Penang to Phuket. I was on the boat the whole time. So I'm not, I'm not gonna tell too many stories. I'll let, I'll wait till Bob's here because he he knows a lot of the details around it. It'll be fun, but that's just the type of weird stuff you see in in Asia in general. Absolutely, uh, you know, back in the states and when I was based in California, uh, it was a great scene. Uh, MMA all the time, every weekend, jujitsu everywhere, but it was pretty standardized. Yeah, you know, you knew what you were getting. The California Athletic Association was great. Uh, yeah, top know, commission, the best. Yeah. I mean, you go in and you see all the biggest names yeah. there at even small events. But they they had everything on lockdown, which is great and uh, safe. Yeah, no, but and you want you want for the most part combat sports to be safe. But there is something to be said about these these nights where you just don't know what's going to happen. It's quite exciting. You know, it's funny because here in in Thailand too, we we have things where we might have street fights bare knuckle street fights under a bridge right and it's like facebook live streamed and then you'll see like former ufc fighter tommy hayden is refing bare knuckle street fights under a bridge and you're just like okay yeah that's normal yep tommy was refing just a few weeks ago over at lion's head yeah and, uh, you know really interesting fights all night and there were what there was boxing there yep. was muay thai there was, was a 14 fight card that was yeah, it was light out when we started, and it yeah. was quite uh, quite dark when we finished. But uh, you know, a bunch of good fights and up and coming fighters. Stan in there. Stan Stan's a beast, man. I, you know, I, I dog his jujitsu because, like I said, I saw him at the uh, Copa de Bangkok. He doesn't look great on the ground, but his stand up. I mean, huh, if his if his grappling just gets a little better, like. How dangerous is that dude going to be? So powerful. 230-pound, lean yep. heavyweight who looks like Zangief from Street Fighter and smashes people. Everybody. The last two fights, he was at what the last two events I yeah. covered, and it was everyone. It was just complete mismatch. At, at he was just smashing. At the Full Metal Dojo fight, when he hit his opponent with the first punch, his opponent's face looked like he had never been hit before, and that guy's had 11 fights. Yeah, he he just backed off and didn't know what to do. He had zero response. No, he, he he didn't even throw a punch. But like just his face, like literally, like I've seen this guy fight half dozen times, 
And he's done very well against big, strong guys. And Stan hits him once. And he's just like, oh, my world is over. I don't know what's going on. You know, then we saw with Tangmo. Tangmo's a legend. Oh. You know, everyone knows Tangmo can take punches for days. And uh, Tangmo came out swinging and Stan, no problem. And really, Tangmo caught Stan with, with one shot in the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for a lot of guys, that can cause some trouble. And yeah. Stan just smashed. I think everyone's seen the uh, the gif of uh, that, that guy Tyson, Deweese, just getting murked by Tangmo. And, you know, that that's just, Tangmo's a big dude. And when you're a big dude and you throw and you got power, you know, and that guy Tyson's probably physically bigger than Tangmo, and he's roided out. And, you know, Tangmo lands one on him and just destroys his world with one punch. And Stan takes one clean. Yeah. I think that's why the world loves heavyweights, you know. No yeah. matter how the fight's going, in general, if someone lands a big shot, it can turn the lights out and just yeah. end the fight at any moment. Done. Um, yeah, and it, well, the one thing I think people hate about heavyweights, though, is round two on. That that would be true. <laughs> round two onward is not a good look. For sure. And uh, But, I mean, particularly in America, it just seems like with the UFC shutting down mm. the whole uh, whole division, it just seems like they don't want to see the small guys go yeah. anymore. And for me, I think it's quite exciting. Yeah, I love the small guy. And DJ is one of my favorite fighters to this day. You know, I, I think he's a phenomenal fighter and just, like, so good, so well-versed. And you watch guys at that weight fight, and there's no end to their gas tank. Yep. And then the pay-per-view numbers that just don't show. Yeah. You know, growing it's, up in a generation where we're watching Andre the Giant yeah. and Hulk Hogan and Mike Tyson and all the big guys, that's... Yeah, I, I love them. Like, I'm like everyone else. I love a heavyweight fight. I love watching big dudes bang. But if, if I really want to geek out, you know, I'm gonna watch a flyweight fight. I'm gonna watch a bantamweight fight, because it's just on an other level, cardio-wise, pace-wise, technique-wise. Well, the Muay Thai here, I just, I, you know, I've shot some Muay Thai in California, and then coming here, the gas tanks on these on these guys are just incredible. And ladies, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There's no slowdown. There's there's nothing. Not like not like back in the states. Well, I, you know, the difference is that a lot of these guys train full time, like. You know, they, they live at the gym, they run every day, they train three times a day, you know, they eat rice and chicken, you know, and that's it. And, you know, they're just hoping to make it to that Buakau or that Senchai level. Yeah, I see some of these, uh, you know, training programs and they're running 10K twice a day. Yeah. You know, there are not very many fighters in America running 12 miles a day. No, and, <laughs> you know, and then these guys, you see them like, they, they might say like warm up with clinches. Like, that's what they're telling you they're doing for their warm-up. What they're doing is they're cranking necks and driving knees into the stomachs of each other. For an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and that's their warm-up. Yeah. And then they'll train. Yeah. Like, After they ran 10K. It, twice. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's brutal. And a lot of these guys who live at the gyms, like, I've been out to some of the Muay Thai gyms here in Bangkok where, you know, they have fighters, Thai fighters living there. And, you know, it's just insane that, you know, they do wake up at 5 and run, and then they train for a couple hours. Then they eat and sleep, and then they do it again. They're building monsters. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that's really upset me is I haven't seen a ton of, like, these high-level Muay Thai guys be super successful in MMA yet. And, you know, of course, it, it's a learning curve. Some of these guys have – and it's also a damage thing. Some of these guys have, like, 200 fights by the time they're 25. It's crazy. You know, 200 fights by the time you're 25. And how do you really, like – 
you know, get over your injuries and start to train for a sport that requires a whole new skill set when you're 200 fights deep on a career, it's insane. And, and let's face it, a lot, of, a lot of the success in MMA comes from guys who have grappling backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> grappling is a huge part of the sport. Whether it's uh, how many NCAA wrestlers are there that are out there dominating MMA. Yeah, wrestling's always been a huge base for, you know, even in Pride, when Pride was, you know, a lot of people saw that as more of a striker's, you know, promotion. But, you know, they, Coleman, Kerr, you know, they dominated there. And and just the toughness you get from wrestling, the, the learning yeah. how to cut weight when you're nine years old, you know, <laughs> the, just... You're, just... you're going to get jib upset. You start talking about, like, nine-year-olds cutting weight. That happens. She she's she's very anti weight cutting because you know she we see I mean we've seen what it's done to some fighters. There was that Scottish kid that died out in Bangkok or in Isan uh, maybe a year ago. I think you were out here for. I remember? Did we talk about that? I don't believe so. He, he went for he couldn't make weight. He was like a pound or a kilo off or something. Wrapped himself in a plastic bag in the middle of Isan and went for a run. And they found him like a few hours later, like just collapsed on the side of the road. It's a, uh, I know, uh, California Athletic Commission's trying to work on a different way, but it, it's, it's tough. It's tough. No, it is for sure. It is, you know, and I don't think there's a good answer right now for I, it. I think one's got a pretty good, a pretty good system in place where they're they, so in theory, if they're following their system, doing hydration checks, doing spot checks, checking all these things to make sure fighters aren't really cutting a crazy amount of weight. And they moved all the weight classes up, which is they made what lightweight's a 170-pound fighter now, not a 155-pound fighter. So they're they're wanting people to fight closer to their natural weight. Uh, you know, and I'm critical of one on a lot of things. I think you know lately they've been doing a lot of good stuff, so I've been talking about them a lot. But I've been really critical of a lot of the things one does. The one thing I, I can say with 100% certainty that I think they've done fantastically is weight cuts. As far as the policy. Now, if it's followed to, to that level, I don't know, but it's a good policy in practice. Yeah, I mean, guys are always going to try to get an advantage where they can. It's going to try to game the system if you can, right? But but if there's if there's the correct checks in place, then I'm all for it. I mean, mm. I think the, the less weight cutting that goes on is probably the better. And you get fresher fighters, too. For sure. You know, working in the business for close to a decade now, I've seen some guys that do not look good the next day. Yeah, and I've seen it over and over again. Then you see some guys on the scale, though, and they're just like, dude, what happened to you? Yep. You remember uh, the last FMD, um, Glenn Sparv, fought for the 185-pound uh, strap. What a fight. It, he, he made weight at middleweight. And the dude, I, I swear he was bigger than me on fight night. You know, I, I, I ref that fight. I'm in the cage, and I'm, I'm like, is that middleweight? No. Uh, he, monster. He's got stakes hanging off his back, right? And, like, just jacked. You know, that one, that comes with experience. And, I mean, yeah, you want fighters to have the ability to – you want them to have the ability to gain an advantage through something like weight cutting or, or whatever it is to a certain amount. But, I mean, that was insane. And you see the pictures of him from weigh-ins, and dude did not look like the same human. But he bounced back, and he looked super fresh. He looked amazing. He looked super fresh. Amazing. And But, I'm, 
by the same token, if you think back to the UFC days, you remember when uh, Rumble Johnson used to make 170? <laughs> <laughs> right? He's a monster. And Just you, huge. you saw those photos of him recently, right? And he got like muscles growing off his muscles. You know, how, did you think, how did this human being make 170 pounds? He should just go into the NFL and be a lineman. I mean, yeah, just... it, it was funny because less than a year after he fought at 170, I think he was fighting Andre Olaski at heavyweight. He think, was... think about that. And he just turns chins, too. When he hits somebody, that's scary stuff. Yeah, right? And scary stuff. People go out. He's, he's just a... When I see him, he's a scary human. <laughs> I, I remember when he fought Charlie Brenneman at a 170, and that was like the last fight he actually made weight for, you know, outside of light heavyweight. And Charlie Brenneman just looks like a sort of a, a slightly larger lightweight. And then he gets in the cage with a guy like Rumble Johnson, and you're just like, what is up with you, you freak? Yeah, that's that's the word for it. He's just a physical freak. Mm. He's a genetic dice roll. You throw a million dice and all of them come up sixes sometimes. Yeah. Insane. Uh, but but I do feel like uh, it's you don't see many guys like that here in Asia. No. And then Stan comes around and you're like, oh my god, you know, this freak. guy's a, a real monster. The and fact like, Risen has got to be just knocking his door down. I mean, he's he's got Risen written all over him. It would make sense. I mean, he's here. He's putting in the work. He's working with it with uh, Javi. He's working with Javi over at uh, Elite. Yep. Great and, gym. And, uh, you know, they're putting out guys around here that are coming in and taking wins all over the place. Yeah. And uh, he's he's going places, Stan. He might have to eventually go to the – either go to the States to go find some big guys in that size group or – He's from, from the around. Ukraine. Yep. I don't know what type of visa issues he might have or not have. Um, but – you know, if he was with a big organization, obviously he could get it. They him make work. it happen. Yeah, they make it happen. <laughs> but with Risen, I mean, he's just got the look. I mean, everything about him just screams Risen. Like, if he's going to stay in Asia, you know, what's he going to do? Go to one championship, and when Brandon Vera fights again in two and a half years, he'll he'll challenge for the belt? You know, it's unrealistic. And I, I don't think one's looking to build big big heavyweight classes. You know, they're, they're really focused on, I think, middleweight and below. People want to see, I think, in general, people more like them. Yeah. You know, I walk around the United States and I'm a small guy. Yeah. I walk around and I took the subway here and I was a monster on that subway. Right. I'm like. Imagine I'm, how I feel. Imagine how I feel. Well, to get in the door of your apartment, like, where are you going? I'm like, to see Dana, you know. Big, big. Like, oh, go. <laughs> <laughs> like, just go ahead. Yeah, yeah we know what you're talking yeah, the about. The big guy. I'm going to see the big guy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's pretty much how it is. But I'm on the subway. <clears throat> I'm on the subway and I feel like a monster and I yeah. walk around and everybody's oh, the fat guy, the fat guy. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, people are, they are smaller here, but you know, you bet you spent some time in Malaysia as well. You, you covered a, a few memes, right? Absolutely. And there, there's some big boys in Malaysia for sure. Uh, did you get to see Darren Lowe fight? I, I don't believe so. I don't, he dropped out of the tournament a little bit over halfway through, but he's essentially undefeated Mima champion for like six years. And he's just, he's probably the only natural heavyweight we ever saw in the MEMA tournament. And most of his fights went like this. Referee says fight, Darren punches someone, and the fight is over. I think I've only seen him leave the first round once. 
and that was the championships two years ago. He went to a decision with uh, Kai, who now is fighting at like middleweight or something ridiculous. Uh, lost a bunch. Yeah, most of most of the heavyweights in Southeast Asia are lightweights who love KFC way too much. KFC's good. KFC runs the show around yeah, here. K- KFC's king in Southeast Asia, man. Forget M- Mickey D's. There's amazing fried chicken all over the place, and then KFC has a line out the door. <laughs> right, right? Like you can buy amazing fried chicken on like a street vendor for like a buck, and but some will pay like, yeah, I'll pay six bucks for some fried chicken at KFC. Yeah, I, I thought America was like fried chicken place. I got over to Thailand, and I'm like, wow. Not even close, son. Not even close. Blown, blown away. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's a... I, it seems like there's a lot of I'm again I'm a big guy here so mm. there's a, there's a lot of smaller fighters here that and I think people want to see that more they want to see the action they're used to Muay Thai where it's just full gas the entire yeah. fight um, except for that first round when everybody's placing bats at Lumpini yeah but, right. uh, you see the guys with the <laughs> hey, slow down yeah, slow down we throw, didn't get throw all the bets fing- in yet. yeah throwing fingers I I've seen that at, at Rachetamung once I, I brought some friends and we're sitting there and uh, you see the fighters look over. Uh, while they're fighting at the guy taking bets and then they adjust based on what he's telling them with hand signals i pretty much don't pick up my camera the first round if i'm at lumpini or, yeah or uh, russian yeah, i never pronounce it right yeah, me i'm probably saying it wrong story of my life around yeah. here but that's all right but you know it's the muay thai i one of the things some of the fighters that we have seen transition into muay thai who have done Really well, uh, Top Noise, one of them, out of Tiger. And I re- you know, I've seen him fight, I don't know, five times now. And uh, he gets better and better every time, but he still has that very hard-hitting Muay Thai style. But you know, he's, he's kind of like a, a Nick Diaz type of uh, character. I remember uh, Rock War. Were you at Rock Wars in Pattaya? I, I was not. Th- yeah, I, don't th- I think that was before you were here. And uh, he comes out. It's live on TV. I, I want to say it was on, like, True Digital. And in Thailand, and they were streaming on Facebook and stuff, and, and um, Top Noy comes out, looks at the camera, jumps, spins around, and flips off directly to the, the only camera that was on at the time, so you know it went to broadcast, just flips it off, and walks back to his corner. But he does that at the start of every fight, but you know it's tough to get like a TV play, but he's in Risen now, so he's fighting in Risen, so it worked out for him, but... I like to, I like watching him fight. It's exciting. You know, and I think uh, you know MMA is gaining a lot of ground here, and mm. people are getting more excited about it. But I feel like they're used to the Muay Thai action, the constant go, go, go. And yeah. then when a fight goes to the ground, everybody's looking around like, what's happening? Well, I, I went to the first. I've been to all the one events except for one here in Bangkok. And the first, the first one, they had a big concert afterwards, and like you know, it stayed full the whole time. I think it was like the third one they had here. The concert that they did was at the beginning. And after the concert, it was like some uh, like Ty, Willie Nelson type guy. After that concert, everyone left. And we're in the middle of Impact Arena, which I, 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 I got to say this because this bothers the hell out of me. Impact Arena is not in Bangkok. It is the most inconvenient place to get to. It's out in Nuntabri or, or something like that. It, it's just it's outside the city limits. It is really inconvenient to get to, yet it's really the only place that could host an event like one. So it's kind of like a catch-22. Anyway, I just want to say I really hate that. <laughs> Bangkok can at sometimes be the most convenient place to get around yeah. if it's right off the MRT or BTS or 
the worst. Yeah. I mean, I thought LA traffic was bad, and then I got to Bangkok, and I'm like, LA is pretty good. You haven't been to Yangon yet, right? No, not oh, yet. Just wait, son. Just and, wait. And I hear Jakarta too, right? Jakarta's bad. Is worse than Bangkok. Not as bad as Yangon. Probably Manila and Yangon are the two worst traffic-wise. All right, so I'll try to stay out of that for a little you bit. You haven't, you haven't done Manila yet either, right? Not yet. This uh, this trip, I plan on trying to get to the Philippines for a month or so. Yeah, because you go, you're going to Cambodia Yep. a uh, couple days, uh, in a couple days. Yeah, in like three days or so. So I'm glad I got you on before you went, because I know you're, you're going to be going a few months, right? Traveling? Yeah, uh, go check in a Cam- Cambodian top team. Yeah, uh, trying to reach uh, out there. Yep, Uh Try to get a little jujitsu in while I'm there. Nice. Uh, Try to get a roll with Little Frog. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> if that can happen, I'm I'm a uh, I'm very good at getting submitted by females. So yeah, you know. ha- happens. Yep. Uh, I, I hear you have trouble passing the guard. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what I heard. Oh really? Yeah, you, you get stuck in the guard, right? When you roll with women. Yeah, yeah, it happens <laughs> from time to time. Not by choice. Not, Not by, by choice. choice. It just just they're so good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah and triangled like crazy yeah but, uh, but yeah so i'll get to spend some time in cambodia uh, some great fighters out in cambodia man hopefully uh hopefully i'll be able to track down some kind of event mm. uh i don't know how easy it'll be but i'll try to go shoot in some gyms some training uh some of the one guys training out of cambodia top team so mm-hmm. one of my one of my favorite fighters out of cambodia other than little frog obviously i think no. she's everyone's favorite cambodian fighter she's great person great personality but uh is Mezumu. Mm. Uh the guy you were at the fight were you at the FM no cuz the last FMD was your first one right yeah. so it's a long time between yeah it was like o- over a year i think between mm. the two but he he tapped out Alan Solomon Chong guy who from Saba i like to call him the Hebrew hammer but um he tapped him out in his last fight in his last FMD fight, it was just really gritty. He ended up getting signed to one. And, like, I, I've seen Meza just, like, you think he's done. Like, I thought he was done in the first round against Alan Chong. And comes out in the second round, like, nothing happened. It just takes it to him. And then uh, I saw him fight um, Top Yai, the the other top from uh, Phuket Top Team. Oh, not, not from Phuket, from Tiger. And same thing, like, he was getting just beat up. You know, top some Muay Thai guy, just chopping away at him. Comes out the next round, takes care of business. There's, there's something something to be said about that. I, You know, I love those guys who you, you see them getting getting hit and getting yeah. hit, like Frankie Edgar type, where they can get smashed and then all of a sudden Almost turn done. around yeah. and back at it like like nothing happened and, yeah. and just go on to take that victory. And for me, that's the most exciting type of fight, the back-and-forth fight. And that's Meza. And then you see Meza smoking cigarettes outside the club like after his fight, right? Like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's Cambodian MMA, you know? I'll, I'll, I'll get to get my first taste of it hopefully uh, next month. Is he, you going to pop into Cambodian top team? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, go see... Uh, yeah, uh, Chan Reach. He's a good dude. Uh, uh, and bounce around. I want to... Want to continue trying to, you know, I want to shoot over there. There's a mm. bunch of good fighters in there, and uh, try to get some exposure for the for the scene. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the Cambodian fighters have a very similar style base wise to Thai fighters, where they have that that kind of Muay Thai, you know, great kicks, a lot of, you know, a lot of great clinch work, you know, Muay Thai, you know, Muay Khmer, you know, the two those two styles. 
you know, a lot of really, really good clinch. And I think that translates so well to MMA. When, when you see a guy who's good at it and lands oh, those right? elbows in there, they just devastate people. Or, or the clinch to the trip, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like effortless. Mm-hmm. It, like when, when someone, like like you said, when they're good at it and you you see them, like the way they move in for it and it's like, boom, behind the head, on the elbow, whoa, how they end up on the ground, right? And... And then easy to pass when yeah. these guys just get tossed like that, and then all of a sudden side control, and then yep. right on top smashing. Yeah, I've, I've seen some of the – you see it more in Muay Thai. Some of the guys who have transitioned are good at it, but you go to a pure Muay Thai, like you go to MBK Fight Night, and some of the guys you see there are just top-level Muay Thai guys, and they're just, they just – they'll hit a trip or, or they'll, they'll land something, like, at, like you said, an elbow from inside that clinch, and you're just like – how is that physically possible that this other guy is still standing? It's just like, and and it's something that's so different uh, shooting MBK uh, compared to shooting Muay Thai in the states. Like mm. when when people get in a clinch, that's when the crowd gets really excited. Yeah, because you know what's gonna, they know what's going to happen. And in the states, it feels like that's when everybody slows down. They yeah. want to see even if it's a big swinging sweeping kick that is a foot away from landing. People get excited about it. Here, they get in a clinch and. The crowd gets revved up. You know what's about to happen. Yeah. You can feel it. And I love shooting MBK. Uh, The last two events have just been out of hand. Uh, Yeah. It's a great show. They put a great show on. And uh, it it was so sad to see their their champion just uh, pass away last week. Uh, Yeah. But uh, that's life, right? Happens. But, uh, yeah, and she went out and she she won a belt that night. And uh, then, you know happens yeah but uh but the last event had three out of the six fights with uh no gloves just the ropes yeah and uh head kick ko where the guy landed six inches away from where i was standing i couldn't even have my camera out i was just yeah in shock and disbelief i hope he's awake now (laughs) i was out there filming one night and uh i put my camera on the on the apron uh, you know outside the ropes and it's still running i was just kind of repositioning my hands and like Two seconds later, a, a trip, a sweep trip, and the, I pull my camera back just in time. I've got the film of it where the guy just lands, boom, right where my camera was. You, you can't, you can't blink. Now, and I used to stand up on top of the apron there yeah. and up against the ropes, and then it would just get a little too physical. I've been caught with an elbow yeah. uh, up top, and I'm like, okay, I'll go back down. I try I try to work out from the uh, from the corner when I shoot there. Like, I try to get in the fighter's corner right up on the apron and, you know, try to get some shots above the ropes. I think you get some good angles that way. And it's it's just so much different from California where... You, you know, can't do that. No. <laughs> uh, you know, you see kids eating a sandwich and putting the, <laughs> putting the plate down on top of the apron. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've been lucky over the years. In the beginning, I was you know, getting press passes and mm. getting a seat eight rows away. And then I was able to get cage side. And then finally I worked up to where I was able to shoot from above above the ring up on a pedestal. Nice. But it was just very different to be able to stand on the apron and have your hands on the ropes and stick my camera through yep. and just really be that close. But if if you don't move quick, you're going to get bloody too. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, I, and I, I personally out here, I don't want to be getting fighters blood on me. Especially, I mean, you know, as much as I love the scene out here, there's definitely a lack of medicals at some of the smaller shows. Now, I'm pretty sure MBK does run medicals on their guys. I see the the doctors there and the nurses doing, you know, doing the pre-checks and everything. But, you know, I'm not going to name names, but I, I've known MMA promotions out here to kind of skate on that because it costs money. Sure. 
You know, it's like, yeah, just let them fight. Yeah, I I hope I hope they do also because uh, what two fights ago from MBK, I got covered, <laughs> covered in blood, shirt, shorts. Wow. Dripping on my cheek. The really? Works. And, uh, yeah, my ride home on the BTS, everyone was staring <laughs> at me. Cause like, <laughs> what did this giant farong do? Yeah, with a backpack and blood all over his shirt and shorts. <laughs> you know, that, oh, my God. That, that train gets pretty busy, but I had I had about two feet of space around me that day. <laughs> Everybody else was packed like sardines, and I had my own yeah, elbow room almost, and everything. Probably could have got a seat if you really pressed for it. But, yeah, I was I was covered. Covered. Man, that... Yeah, that made good, some great photos though. Yeah, good show. You get any blood on the lens? Uh, uh, that event, I don't know. Over over the years, many yeah. times. I, I like the. Uh, you ever see the shots where a photographer will get blood on the lens and then they shoot through the blood and you can still see it, like uh, you know, adding a little bit of like vignetting around the uh, image. Absolutely, and I had to get used to even just the amount of water that gets sprayed around here in, yeah. in Muay Thai. That they just you know pop a hole in a bottle and spray it all yeah. over. And yeah. I just hold my camera away and try to hide it and just get soaked every time with God knows what. Yeah, in Muay Thai, that's not such a big deal because they put those plates down, right? And then they pull them out and they they basically just dump all the water off on the side. In MMA, when they come in and do that, though, they don't use those plates. And so they they soak the canvas in the corners. And I've seen fighters, you know, as much as you wipe it up, it's a canvas or it should be a canvas. And, you know, underneath there's some foam. So it just soaks it up. And, like, I, I've seen fights where, like, they get back in that corner after someone just had, like, a gallon of water dumped on them between rounds. And, like, they're rolling and, like, water's shooting up out of the canvas. And it gets slippery. I've seen guys slip, you know. But uh, but here, here especially with uh, Muay Thai, mm. they don't dry them off so much. So, man, it makes wonderful photos. Yeah, a lot of spray. Those first exchanges when they come out. Yep. And, and here lighting is just more prevalent at yeah. events you know i work big events in in the states where the lighting is just lesser than even small events here yeah, you know in mbk i love it because they're covered now too so they're they're controlling a lot of the light better it was before uh they were up on the top level and it you know it was open so like sometimes you get moonlight shooting through which looks cool and everything but if you're trying to shoot the event then you essentially you're always adjusting for for the changing light I love the colors at MBK, the blues and reds that yeah, are in the background. Yeah, they do a great job then, lighting, yeah. But then the bright whites, so yeah. when that when that water sprays, it's just... Boom. You know, the last one, I have a, one of my photos, just a whole big trail of spit and, like, really? squiggles that are sticking out. Oh, it was, wow. it was, you know, sometimes it's great to be perfect and, and get that shot when the punch lands that moment. Yeah. But... That just a fraction after it was an even uh, more compelling photo because you just see the trail of fluids leaking out of the human. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, it's always great. But the but the sprays, I mean, th- the first exchange you always have to be ready here mm. because it's going to get wet and it's going to look great in a photo whether it lands or not. True, true. And yeah, we were at um we were both at uh, the AMC fight night over at uh, Lion's Head, which is a great boxing gym. Jr. runs over here in Bangkok, but. We were talking earlier about that, 14 fights on that card. We saw a stand fight, but also my, my boy uh, Greg Edwards, Maganja, fought on that brutal knockout win. He looked great. He looked so so strong. Dude, I saw Last time I saw him fight was at Trinity. I, he came down for one of the Trinity events, and he lost a uh, decision in, round one, in the first bracketed round of the uh, tournament. You know, tough, tough loss, but you know, it, was a good, it was a good learning experience for him. 
you know, whatever they're doing up there at Team Quest Thailand in Chiang Mai, the dude was a different human being. You know, he looked like he was he just had a different level of strength and intensity than, yeah. than his opponent at uh, AMC. Completely. And I think that guy was out of Elite or BFL. Um, I don't I don't recall. Yeah, it was one of the two. I remember because um, Tommy was talking to him beforehand. It was like, oh, it's tough reffing uh, one of my former students. Uh, and he, he was the head coach at both of those for a while. But, you know, yeah, Greg just looked phenomenal. And, you know, he, he's doing it. He, he's kind of learning. He's a bit older to try to make a pro run at it. And he realizes that, but, you know, like I said, the training he's getting up there, and you would think he's like a 20-year-old, the way he looks, the way he moved, his strength, his skill, and he's picking it up fantastically. And, and it depends on the person, you know. Some, some of these guys, like we were talking about mm. earlier, when they have 200 fights already when they're 20 yeah. years old, yeah. that's, that's a lot of mileage you have on you. Some yeah, these, it is. I've shot kids fighting here who are like 11 years old. Eight, three. You know, yeah. and no headgear. Yeah. No. Elbows and knees. Kicks, knees, yeah. elbows, all of it, you know, and then uh, it adds up. Mm. It adds up. And, you know, it's hard miles. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah, I, I see like uh, up at Team Quest, so they got Dylan Fussell's, their head coach. He's like a stand, he's a staple in, in Asian MMA. He was on the cruise ship, actually. Fought that. I've seen him, seen him fight a number of times. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's obviously strapped together a great program and a team up there. How about, um, the girl from their team that fought that night, uh, her first MMA fight? Oh, was, uh, the... She's like the, Estonian. The blonde girl. Yeah. Yeah, I had a bunch of great photos of, of that fight. That was actually when the lighting was coming good from, yeah. <laughs> coming in good from the outside. And I can't remember her name. I'm, I apologize. Uh, it was my first time Son meeting her. Sonia, maybe? Maybe something. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. Um, and uh, actually, I want to get her on the the podcast because, you know, I the way she looked on that fight, she's gonna be, she's she's gonna blow up, dominant in the dominant. women's division here, especially. And she, you know, she lives in the gym. Yeah. Greg was telling me like she lives in the gym and she just trains all day. Oh, to be young. <laughs> like I work out once in a day. I can't recover. You know, homegirls training all day long pissed i'm just pissed <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not fair that youth is wasted on young right <laughs> i need some of that uh stem cell treatment get me back to like my 20s yeah i'm pretty sure that's available somewhere here somewhere here yeah. <laughs> probably over on soy 11 <laughs> yeah, <most likely. laughs> one door down from the ambassador <laughs> yeah. yeah but i mean so you, i know you said you want to do philippines on your your coming trip yep you know one of the things uh i love about the fighters who come out of manila uh, well, the Philippines in general, not just Manila. It's a huge country, but great boxing, hands. And you see those fighters, like, they they, they generally have kind of weak Muay Thai. Right? I've, I've seen a, a handful of fighters. Like, even, like, you see Rocky uh, Batol, who's now with one. You know, he, he's a well-rounded fighter, but hands are his strength. You know, he's a Filipino guy. He trains at Lion's Head. You know, got good ground. His, his Muay Thai game is weak, though. Right, like he doesn't have great kicks, you know, because his hands are so strong. But guys like him who can box and have good wrestling, we see them give the Muay Thai guys a hard time. You know, it's, it's that change up in style. And you know, when you look country to country, and I know uh, John has got John Nuts got this whole Kumite thing going on. He's going to have country versus country, but you know, Philippines versus Thailand's great matchup because you get a Filipino with good wrestling and decent hands versus uh, a Muay Thai, a guy with a Muay Thai base who's got pretty good jujitsu but great clinch game and kicks. 
Fights make uh, styles make fights, man. Absolutely, and then you know those Muay Thai guys. Some of those kicks aren't getting thrown as much when you're worried about get, getting taken down. For sure, like Habib versus Connor. Yeah, you know Connor. Connor had to worry, and that's how his gun shy. Yeah, yeah, and that's how Khabib could have that huge overhand right that lands that mm. you know most coaches would say never throw that. Never punch. throw that. Yeah, but dropped him yeah. because you know he's worried about that takedown, and once you get taken down, you're down. And, and you saw he was in a world of hurt. Yeah, you especially when you got a guy like Khabib on top of you. Yeah, once once he gets those legs locked up, and then you're just hoping to make it through to hear the horn and get to the next round. Yeah, we see a lot of Dagestani fighters here in uh, in Asia, and uh, there was one at AMC even that the guy with uh, the beard and no mustache, and what a beast he was. That was a crazy fight in the first round. He he wasn't looking great, and then he came back, and oh my lord! The guy he fought Mustafa is an absolute beast. I mean, that guy he he's legit. Like I've seen him fight in Mima down in Malaysia, and this was his pro debut. But I mean, he's a legit fighter. He's got great skill. He trains out of Monarchy, where uh, Pete Davis trains, and um, you know, it's a legit gym with a lot of good guys and uh, a lot of like strong uh, wrestlers like Medi. Who uh, just fought? Um, he just fought Glenn. Glenn. Yeah, and you know he just he looked great in the first round, but I think his gas tank, you know, but the, yeah, the Dagestani guy obviously wasn't tired, and then he was like, "Well, I can just suplex you and smash you." Okay, I'll just continue to do that over and over again. No quitting those guys. No, I was I was a few months back at the Wrestling World Championships. Yeah. Oh, and, and, um, and Budapest. In Budapest. Yeah, and. You know, you you see these guys out of all the stands mm-hmm. and and Russia, and you're like, these guys are incredible. Yeah, you, it looks like they've been doing it since they, you know, since they were in the cradle. Probably yeah. have been. And uh, you know, it's one of those where you you watch the Olympics and you know a bunch of the countries you see, you, you go there and it's wait, what what flag is that? Yeah, Turkmenistan. What and but that whole group of the stands, they dominate. Yeah, wrestling on another level. Unbelievable. You see, you know, there was one guy from Spain who got the first medal that Spain has ever gotten, <laughs> you know. And, and some guy from Tajikistan who, or Turkmenistan who's got like 50. They've got yeah, 50. Yeah, they, they've got guys in there all day, you know. And even uh, Iran, you know, guys in there all day. And, Dude, great and the crowd, fighters out of Iran. And the crowd. There was a huge portion of the crowd that was Iranian. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. They had a whole, conting, whole contingent of people just loud and cheering for their, mm-hmm. for their team. Now, I love like a lot of the you know Iranian fighters, especially we see a lot of them here in Asia because they can't fight in the U.S. and a lot of them can't get fights in Europe because of visa issues. Uh, I know well one of them who was denied a visa to Australia, to, to, and he had a, a booked fight, and the promoter wrote him a letter for the visa, and they're like, "Nah, sorry." But you know we get to see them fight here, and guys like Amir Ali Akbari or um, you know my my boy uh, Ali Motamid. You know who? You know they can come to Thailand and train and get fights and just you know smash guys. Yeah, no, no one cares what yeah. the government's doing yeah. or you know beefs between different countries where the, the people are people. Yeah, and you know fighters a fighter and like like a mayor like he ended up going on to Risen, fought in the Grand Prix, made it to the finals against Krokop. You know that that's a dude who could be on a completely other level. You know anywhere else. You know, but I mean, we're fortunate here in Asia that he can't go anywhere else, and the biggest fights for him are in Asia. And I, I've actually refed two of his fights, I believe, and I've seen seen him fight, you know, a handful more times. And the guy's a monster. The other guy is uh, Masood 
uh, also from Iran, who trains out of AKA Thailand, and a, another beast of a human being, and just no quit in him, and he's just a monster. You know, I'm I'm very happy that these guys can't fight anywhere other than Asia because I get to see them fight. I mean, I'm sad for them. Don't get me wrong, but yep. in a selfish way, I'm I'm kind of happy about it. Yeah, it's a shame when someone's career gets gets put on somewhat hold because yeah, like of the color, yeah. because of the color of their passport. Mm. You know, because the name printed on the front. Exactly. And I've, and I've gone through and cu- I've gone through customs, and I'm fortunate to have a U.S. passport. Blue passport. Yeah. But they just don't even look at me. They just stamp and let me go. And yeah. then the guy next to me is getting 12 questions. And, yeah. And they're just they're just people going to do their live their life. Exactly. You know? And especially these guys, they, some of these guys could probably be fighting on the biggest stages there are, mm. but they have problems with getting visas just because of politics yeah geopolitics and just stupid an orange dude sitting in a chair you know making decisions but uh you know i i feel like we're in kind of a golden age a resurgence of a golden age second golden age of asian mma you know in the post pride era where we've got one championship making huge moves we've got risen uh, road fc in korea uh, rebel in hong kong like all these great promotions that are paying dudes and putting on great fights and legitimate fights. So no better time to be a fan of Asian MMA than right now. That even look at like the small promotions. We've had, you know, four good years of FMD. Unfortunately, it seems like that's over. But five amazing years of the MEMA tournament. You know, even this Ignite Fight series. Yeah. You know, coming into town and having amazing yeah. production. And Ply, yeah. Ply's putting on fantastic shows with Ignite and Wonshin. You know. Yeah, where else are you going to see that? It's it's a great show, and uh, you know, again, I I walk into this production studio and see this setup, and I'm like, huge events sometimes in in the United States, big big promotions that have guys going to the UFC after winning there do yeah. not have setups like this. Ply's you know Ply has done a fantastic job, and I, I think what Ply is doing for especially amateur MMA in Thailand is going to change the game because he's working very closely with IMAF and Kareth Brown, and you know. I just see Thailand has the potential, the young potential, to develop a grassroots system that is going to dominate, you know, just like Mexico with boxing, right? And, you know, the lighter weights of MMA could be wholly dominated by Asian fighters in the next decade. And and with uh, the amount of jujitsu coming into this country and high-level guys teaching mm-hmm. these guys when they're young... Yeah. If they have this, this base of Muay Thai, and then if they have a lot of jujitsu, they're going to be... They could be American people. Just look at the the jujitsu coaches we have here in Bangkok, right? Within like literally twenty minutes from where we are right now, Adam Kayum at Q twenty three, the man, at, the monster. He's a monster. Uh, we, we rolled uh, the other day and a few weeks ago, and he just like I, I couldn't do anything to him. He got a hold of my gear. Like, ah. You know, just you were there. You saw what yeah, he did to I me. Watched. It wasn't fun. It was similar to what you did to me earlier. Yeah, exactly. The, earlier in the, in the night is what I did to you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's teaching some of these guys. He's got boss on the on the t- that he trains there. Boss is mm-hmm. for amateur. He's a monster, and he's he's got like a I think he's doing a master's degree in engineering, and and a very nice dude. By and the he's way. A, an awesome human being, you know. And I, Adam trains a couple fighters, but he's not a fighter gym, right? But then you got Lee Livingston who trains like Shannon Wichichai, Rika Ishington. Um, you know, a lot of other fighters come to Lee specifically for MMA, jiu-jitsu, 
You've got Morgan over at uh, the Fight Lab, yep. you know, training guys in jiu-jitsu. Morgan's legit. They, they like the footlocks over there, though, man. Breaking legs, yeah. breaking legs. <laughs> Blow, blowing out ACLs. And then and then you got Javier yep. running the camp over at Elite. And Javier's – I love Javier because he's a straight wrestling guy. He yep. knows jiu-jitsu, but he knows how to use wrestling. And that's where Stan's training. I think you're going to see guys coming out of Elite with that strong wrestling base that a lot of jiu-jitsu guys are missing. Sure. But solid jiu-jitsu as well. You know, and Javi's really into that uh, that Tenth Planet style, which is a bit too tinfoil hat for me. But um, you can't argue with results. Absolutely. I mean, I I used to shoot out of uh, the Tenth Planet uh, downtown, the headquarters for a while, and yeah. the faces you'd see in there: the Alan Joe Bonds, the Tony Ferguson's, yeah. the uh, Ben Saunders. Like I would walk in that gym and be like, "These are the who's who." Cannot of the argue UFC. with results. And and. Those guys are out there taking wins like crazy. I mean, Tony Ferguson. Yeah, monster. Who doesn't want to see Tony Ferguson fight Khabib? Oh, my God. All day long. That's the fight we've been waiting for for years. Years, yeah. Oh, <laughs> One day. Maybe. One day. One it day. might happen. It one might day. happen. But, yeah, I'd walk into that gym, and all, all the who's who of of the UFC are in there you know, making it happen. So you, can, you can't argue with results. Cannot argue with the results. I mean, and I'm a huge fan of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I love wearing a gi, but... Mm. You know, it, once you get in, once you get in the MMA cage, I hate it, wearing a there's gi. N- there's no lapel to grab. I hate wearing a gi. It gets a little warm. Hate it. But any, <laughs> anyway, Walsh, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to come out here. I really appreciate. It. I got to wrap it up though. Do me a favor. Let anyone the listeners, let all of the listeners know where they can find your work. Um, head to theclinchreport.com. You yeah. can uh, see work there. Clinch Report on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Clint, the clinch report or clinch picks uh we run both all right cool uh and uh if you're in bangkok check out q23 for, for some sure. amazing jujitsu for sure absolutely and i adam said he's doing no gi next year so i, I might be rolling through more often and uh, it has air conditioning it, it does have ac <laughs> it does that probably the, the only one of two gyms that i listed that have air con <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I'm gonna throw all those links down in the show notes. Check out Walsh. Walsh, you're headed to Cambodia in four days. Yep. So he'll be posting from Cambodia, and I know you said you're doing some Indonesia and some Philippines. Yep. Uh, I'll probably hit Malaysia a little bit too. Okay. Then I'll be down Phuket, down the islands. Yeah. Uh, a lot yeah. of great fighters out of all these places. So if you want to see really like an up close and personal visual, like photo essay style, the galleries that Walsh puts up are fantastic. Follow his Instagram, Clinch Picks, for sure, because you put up a lot of good stuff there. And check that out. Walsh, thanks for coming, man. Enjoy uh, Cambodia. Uh, Thanks for having me, Dana. And uh, sad to to leave Bangkok. It feels like my home now. I'll see you in a few months. Yeah, I'll be back. All right, brother. Thanks. Stay away.